You are now listening to the Here for the Truth podcast, hosted by Joel Rafidi and Eurosimos. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to the Here for the Truth podcast, the cutting edge podcast for truth seekers. Week in, week out, we're having conversations with some of the brightest, most critical thinking minds that we can muster and find to provide awesome dialogue on a broad range of topics, always with the foundation of truth. Um, and yeah, today's no different. we got Denny Katz in the house. We're exploring how language can be used as a reality creation tool and also how it can be weaponized against us by the social engineers um, also. Just before we get into that, wherever you're consuming this podcast, we'd really appreciate it if you'd follow, like, subscribe, um, so you can keep receiving these episodes, whether it's Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever else where it might be. Um, that would be a huge help to us. And that's it. Enjoy this episode. All right, everyone. Welcome back to the Here for the Truth podcast. Today, we have the amazing Denny Katz with us. She is a visionary thinker with an uber-expanded perspective. Denny has devoted her career to empowering leaders, disruptors, and rebel badasses with the tools, skills, and confidence necessary to thrive as sovereign, conscious reality creators. Her broad spectrum of practical experience and formal studies, including a master's degree in journalism, combined with a pronounced passion for the metaphysical, inspired her ever-deepening fascination with the energetic frequencies of words. Devoted to understanding how language programs the subconscious mind and creates the world as we know it, Denny's impassioned investigations led her to develop quantum languaging, a method of deconstructing and perfecting the myriad of ways, whys, and hows that words shape our every human experience. She's the author of the critically acclaimed best-selling books, Word Up, Pop Propaganda, and The Language of Betterarchy, a blueprint for uniting against tyranny. Denny, thanks for being here for the truth. Thanks, Joel. Thanks, Eurasimos. Thanks for having me. No, it's a pleasure to have you here. Um, all right. Same old as always. We always kick this off the same way with first-time guests. We want to dive deep into your personal hero's journey. Um, what were some of the major catalyzing transformative moments on your path of greater awareness? Okay. Um, reading the Tao Te Ching was probably the first thing that like shook me. Um, maybe the second thing. The first was doing LSD, which was the first intoxicant I ever took in graduate school. And that kind of opened up a whole different realm where I thought, oh, okay, maybe I, I'll be okay in this realm on this planet if this is an option for me. Um, then I read the Tao Te Ching. Then I quit my job as a Hollywood publicist and just backpacked around the world and did the whole like Saturn return thing for a while. Hmm. Um, there have been so many. I mean, I tend to walk a shamanic path. So injuries, you know, giant, dramatic, near-death experiences, all of those tend to like quantum leap me into you know more expansive realms on my path um of course 9-11 i was producing the news for kpfk at the time um so i was in the newsroom while that was happening wow. and i remember when george bush had named north korea as part of the axis of evil and i didn't understand and i was asking my news director like i don't get why north korea and he's like here's the phone call north korea figure it out um so that really 
you know, launch my unraveling of like, oh, wait, everything we've been taught is a lie. <laughs> That's wild. That's unique. Yeah. What a unique experience. Yeah. I, I definitely had my Saturn return moment. I left in 28 when I was 28 to backpack around the world as well. So I totally feel you there. That's how we do it. Yeah. <laughs> so real quickly, when when your producer, whoever you said was like, here's the phone call North Korea, like, was that like serious or like you... I'm, I'm, I guess I'm a little confused. Like you got on the phone, like, Hey, can I speak to Kim Jong or whoever it was? No, he was like, call the, um, American diplomat in North Korea. It was just uh, like this. These were the old days of journalism, right? Where it wasn't just do a Google. We didn't do Google searches. Like yeah, it wasn't yeah. like that. It was like, do your research, figure it out, have the conversations with the players involved. And that's when I found my way to the to the treaty that Clinton had broken um, about these reactors for energy. But it was just yeah, it's a wrong journalism doesn't exist anymore. It's so funny that that's what I have my master's degree in, because it's just like such a dead industry where people used to do actual research beyond Googling headlines. When when do you say when do you think like this this happened when People just stopped and just start parroting these ideas that were given to them. I think, um, I mean, it started, we studied the demise of journalism in journalism school. So the, the, like officially they said when um, newspapers started selling advertisements in the op-ed section was where we all of a sudden had a very obvious conflict of interest as for what was gonna be printed in that section. I think it was the internet because, and like blogs, because before the internet, you had to work really hard to, you know, develop your skill as a journalist, develop a voice as a journalist, like do like sharpen your chops as far as research, develop relationships. It wasn't like everyone wasn't given a platform. You had to really work to be able to have a large audience to share your perspectives. But then blogs came along and all of a sudden anyone with a typewriter and an opinion was putting their stuff out there. And those ideas were getting just as much play and consideration as actual journalism. So that's where I saw it really start to devolve because the idea of journalistic ethics, the idea of presenting both sides and not editorializing everything, like that was all just kicked out the window. And then my guess is that to compete combined with propaganda and all the other agendas, then journalism started to devolve to kind of meet that that like lowest common denominator frequency of like hurling shit and insults and ad hominems. Yeah. That's how I see it. Because I mean, it's, it's a very specific skill and I guess art form, true journalism, isn't it? It's kind of a shame that that's kind of been lost. It's pretty heartbreaking to me to see it happen in real time, like on my watch of like, oh, but there's this thing that I have a passion for and put so much effort into learning and cultivating. Um, and it really doesn't exist anymore. Yeah. And, yeah. and the people that are doing, let's say, more investigative journalism, I mean, they get ridiculed online and they get, you know, their reputations ruined. So any so a person who's maybe thinking, let's say someone who thinks similarly to us and is, you know, wanting to kind of step outside the system, you know, they're facing this pressure like, oh, man, am I going to have to what am I going to have to go through? Am I going to be ridiculed? Are there going to be hit pieces put out on me? Now, I'm not saying that's a reason not to do it, but this is the things that are happening psychologically in a person's mind. 
Totally. And it's not just the like psycho emotional attacks. It's like being debanked and losing various platforms and having your credit card processors attacked. I mean, for me, it's I, I know it's not just like an algorithm tracking my social media. If I post anything that could make me money, it is instantly suppressed. Um, so it's happening on all angles. And then, you, of course, you have controlled opposition that's playing into like the useful idiots ego. So you have journalists who have like a nominal understanding of what good journalism is, but don't understand the larger like multi-leveled sham show. So then they're pulled in and given positions of prominence at the front of the room when they're being handled and running, you know, controlled opposition and disinformation without realizing it. So it's a really muddy space. I love that term, useful idiots. Shout out to Yuri Vesmanov. God bless him. <laughs> <laughs> he called it. Too bad none of us paid attention. <laughs> yeah. What a, what, a, what a journalistic piece that was. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Okay. So I guess how did you begin to find yourself um drawn to or impassioned by i mean words and etymology and you know understanding how language is used you know to i guess create our reality yeah i i mean i've always been a writer even as a little kid you know i was like alone in my room always writing stories and then um as a journalist i had a column at the LA Weekly, and I was also writing for a bunch of other, you know, like LA Yoga and Whole Life Times and Vice. So I had a lot of freelancing going on. Um, and so when you're writing, you know, as, as a freelancer, as a journalist, there's always these tight deadlines, like, okay, we need this in three days, right? So I was always working with words and working with words very quickly in terms of like logging my you know thousands and thousands and thousands of hours but i went through a deeply shamanic phase lots of plant medicine lots of weird initiations and um i would i had a really intense ashtanga yoga practice um and i was doing like really intense um like kind of acrobatic moves every day that I realized on the flip side weren't very good for my body. So I went to bed one night totally healthy and I woke up in the morning paralyzed, un unable to move this arm in a lot of pain. I had five compressed discs in my upper cervical spine. So I spent about a month on the couch, not really able to do much. And I just kept going back and forth to my bookshelf. Um, and I found this book called Hidden Language Codes by R. Neville Johnson. I'd never seen the book. I don't know how it got into my library, but it was about this man who was shot point blank in the chest and died for a few minutes. And while he died, he downloaded these languaging codes. And he was able to see how language is operating on multiple frequencies and programming people as well as our collective reality construct. So after I read the book, I started to be able to see the languaging codes. And I would be writing on these tight deadlines and the words were trying to engage me in a different conversation. And so for years I was like, no, shut up words. I have a deadline. Mm. And then I realized like, oh, I'm being invited into something much bigger. So I started playing with, you know, shifting my own language according to the frequencies embedded and my understanding as to how they were programming me and started to see a lot of shifts in my life. And so I, you know, slowly I was asked to start to give talks and lead workshops. And it wasn't really wasn't until like I was completely booted from journalism that I was like, all right, let me fully embrace this 
as my path. And so I consider myself a custodian of language where I'm just really listening to language um, and its directives and the way that it's showing me how it's operating, where, where you know, distortions have gone awry, how to use language as reality creation technology. I mean, the social engineers have known this for centuries. They go the distance to just convince us that language is just a communication tool and nothing else. So the way that I see it in terms of what's going on on the planet is like we can so very easily course correct um, and design a better game once we all start realizing that every word we are speaking, writing, thinking, sharing is operating as reality creation technology every time, no exceptions. Yeah, yeah. Can you, I guess, just expand on that? How can language be used as a reality creation technology? from a broad strokes perspective for someone completely new to this kind of understanding. Yeah. And, and also just to piggyback on that, like when you were saying you were going through your experience, like what were the awarenesses that you were having as well in terms of like how language is impacting you uh, in your life? Um, the biggest one for me was seeing um, the victim consciousness that had been operating through me and where I was sustaining a victim narrative through my words, through something as simple as, you know, I can't afford it, or, you know, I have to do X, Y, Z. And starting to understand like, wait a minute, the way that I'm talking myself is consistently harmonizing my frequency to the frequency bands of victimhood, right? And understanding that the world operates as a feedback loop, right? So every word that, I say that I think that I type is going into the morphogenetic field. All of ours are. And then the morphogenetic field amalgamates, right? Like what's the the most input that I'm receiving? Is it fear? Is it, you know, enslavement? Is it conspiracy theorists are evil, right? And then it goes about like directing reality to configure accordingly. So, right. So when we're speaking lack, when we're speaking limitation, when we're speaking separation, you know, as so many people are being indoctrinated to do those frequencies are going into that morphogenetic field giving us a scary world a world of scarcity a world of lack right that's not how objective reality works right plant a spinach seed and watch it proliferate more and more and more the more leaves you take off the more it's going to give you right the nature of this realm is abundance but the way the social engineers have designed it we are speaking enslavement frequencies all day every day and sustain a world of lack of separation of violence etc etc what what is the morphogenetic field so the morphogenetic field is an invisible field of energy that surrounds the planet that links us as a species like every species has their own morphogenetic field um, we're all expressions singular individuated expressions of a singular field of energy but when you break it down we are just expressions of one field of energy. You can think of it of like waves in the ocean. There might be a big wave, there might be a little wave, but there's still the ocean, just the way that the ocean is expressing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So like, I think I listened to this, I listened to one of your episodes earlier. I think you were talking about um, what animal was cleaning sweet potatoes. Oh yeah, it was some sort of primate. I never remember if it was like a monkey or an orangutan, but yeah, this is where we get the hundredth monkey theory, right? And I think it, it, I know Sheldrake talked about it and I also know Lyle Watson talked about it. So I'm not sure which one originated it, 
but it was like this primate in an island off of Japan figured out that like the sweet potato that was getting sandy from the beach, if she washed it in the ocean, not only would it not have sand, but it would taste bit better because it would be salty. And then all the other primates on the island started to do it, but then primates on neighboring islands started to do it. And that's where they realized like, oh, when we hit this critical mass, mm -hmm. then the whole species is just caught up in that momentum, which is the beauty of awakening on this planet and all the work that we're doing is like it really doesn't take a hundred percent of us to wake no, up and get it it just takes critical mass and that could happen at any second in any second that hundredth monkey human could wake up and then all of a sudden we all catch on because of the momentum yeah you also see this too uh let's say pre-internet days and you know globalism is when people pioneers would start thinking of new ideas like different parts of the world people would be starting to think about and write about similar things um so yeah it makes complete sense to me i mean well, we see it in fashion we see it in comedy like we do, we see it where it's just like we we think we're we all think we're so original and which we are but like we're we're just tuning in to these larger frequencies that are being broadcast to all of us yeah i mean even just from a pure mythological standpoint you know all these races that knew nothing of each other thousands of years ago came up with the same myths on, under different contexts you know yeah totally yeah yeah uh, and i also loved you know what you were talking about in terms of the words we use is like i'm a very uh, novice student of german new medicine in terms of how you know you know we speak to ourselves or how our psyche interprets our environment and then adaptations, you know, form in our body based on these programs. And so even just a major kind of um, topic is self-devaluation. And so how you speak to yourself, what words you use. Oh, I, I used to be I used to be so much more athletic or I, 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 I can't really move like I used to. Like all these subtle things that impact you and impact your joints. It's pretty wild. I mean, I'm noticing in myself, you know, that I'm dealing with some stuff as I'm starting to get more active again. I'm dealing with some pains in my joints based on the fact that I've been saying things to myself for a long time, like, oh, I got to work out again. Oh, I'm just not as healthy as I used to be. I can't move the same way. And, you know, it's it's showing as, as some issues. So anyways, I wanted to just throw that in because I, I think people don't realize that impact that it has on their body. Bro, I, think you're, I think you're undervaluing yourself when you say very novice student of German medicine. You're, you're quite skilled in your understanding of GNM. I'm just noticing this language, man. Okay, thank you. Thank you. Um, are you open to a languaging reflection that I heard, Eurasimos? Of course. Okay, so I heard you say I'm dealing with some joint pain. And the language of healing is one of my favorite programs that I offer. Awesome. So I'm dealing with anchors it in in the present moment versus I'm transmuting, I'm healing, I'm moving through. When we put it in motion, right? Um, then we're, we'll move through it more quickly. Like a lot of times we'll speak about pains or symptoms in the present moment. And I always love to like put them into an ING. So it's like, yeah, I'm healing some inflammation in my hands or I'm transmuting a cot or I'm integrating a cosmic upgrade is one of my favorites, but, um, always to steer clear of pathologies, right? Cause pathologies are coded with so many negative ways that symptoms can like progress or or devolve or whatnot sorry you were gonna say something no no I, i'm first of all thank you for that um and it's it's so true even for me again being a not so novice student of gnm is even the words people say i'm sick or i have this disease as opposed to like i'm experiencing healing phase in my body 
you know, that right there is so different, like sick versus I'm healing. I mean, just if individuals just change that, mm-hmm. that would be huge. It's huge. I'm so glad that you get that, right? Because there's so there's stages of it. There's like, I am diabetic, which is like, okay, now we're merging it, right? Now it becomes an identity construct. I have diabetes, so now we're taking ownership. It's a little less slavey than I am, but still there's a quantum entanglement versus I'm in the process of healing some diabetes diabetes like symptoms, right? I'm in the process of healing some imbalances that doctors liken to diabetes. Like we, we wanna keep it as far away from ourselves as possible and always in motion so that we're directing our body, hey, we're moving through this. We're, we're not hanging out here for an extended yeah. period of time. Yeah, you can just sense immediately like the energetic shift in the, in that, that the language brings along with it. You know, even like dealing with, like to me that connotates so much burden, you know, it's so heavy. It's like, true. Dealing it's with true. This. I'm just putting up with it. It's just there. Yeah. Well, thank you again for mirroring that back because again, it's like sometimes we understand these things and like to speak about conceptually, but then we're still doing it. You know, it's like we have an awareness, but we haven't had the ability to choose a different way of, of, of speaking. So it's like, I love it when people point out little things. I mean, I do it sometimes to people as well. So thank you for that. Yeah, of course. And thank you for being open. I'm, I'm the same way. Like we all have blind spots, right? Like I've, I clued into this maybe like 16 years ago, but that still gives me decades of old languaging patterns that I'm still in the process of transmuting. So it's always so helpful to have friends and community who love us enough to be like, Hey, I don't know if you heard yourself, but you know, are you open to hearing what I heard? Mm. And then it's like, Oh, I didn't even realize. And then we can see like, all the ways that this languaging pattern has been playing out. And then as soon as we shift it, it's like we're reprogramming our subconscious mind. We're directing it. Hey, we're creating a new neural pathway. We're creating a new story about our body and optimization and how strong we're getting and all those fun things. And and even just this, like just one mirroring back, like planted a seed in me that I I know, I just know myself, I'm going to be uh more mindful in that regard and speaking of words i'm definitely stealing your use of the word slavey i've never heard that before so uh, i'll be utilizing that in the future awesome i love making up words and also empowering others to make up words and reminding them like we're creating culture like no one else has more um ownership or possession of culture than any of us as individuals which is like kind of my favorite thing to to teach people like we can change the direction of culture. Like we have that power. We can change our language. We can add more words. Like there's no official adjective version of the word integrity in the English language. Think about the implications. Think what we're seeing in our culture. Like, is it any surprise that that word doesn't officially exist, right? So when we spot these holes that we see are holding our fellow brothers and sisters back, I encourage all of us to like gift the lexicon something new so that we're all creating culture in a way that, you know, serves us. Is is integrous the adjective version of it? That's what I use, and some dictionaries have added it in. Yeah, um, it's not, you know, officially, okay. not really. Yeah, because I've looked up that word, and sometimes it's like, oh yeah, that totally exists, and other times you're like, yeah, no, that's not the word. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, I wanted to say something else too that I love that you did, and I think it's a learning for everyone. Is like even just asking me, are you open to this? How many people will just go right in? Oh, you shouldn't say sick, or you shouldn't, you shouldn't say I'm dealing with. You know what I mean? Like, but hey, are you open to, you know, and then I'm like, oh, wow, that's, I, I could be receptive to that. 
Yeah, I say, and thank you for noticing that. I all like any workshop or course I teach, I, I always remind people be, be sure you get permission, right? Because not everyone is going to be open. Some people, you know, aren't going to be in a space. Sometimes maybe I'm too triggered to be in, you know, in a receptive mode. It's always good because we don't want one of the pieces that I teach is understanding the qualities of language and how every word either inspires expansion, contraction, or maintains neutrality. The, what we don't want to do is inspire people to contract and shut down because then they're not able to hear us, right? Their defenses go up. So if I just threw out, hey, you should say it like this, it's quite possible that your defenses would go up. Now you're in a contracted state. You don't feel safe around me. The rest of our conversation could yeah. be a little stilted. Yeah. And I don't, I don't like when people do shoulds to me, like, like, don't tell me what I should do, especially if I didn't ask for it. No, should is such a, I, in, in my paradigm, it's wrong use of will, like should alleges that I have authority over you, um, which is completely wrong use of will. And for, I mean, I'm guessing we're all here running some degree of rebel consciousness. Mm -hmm. So when anyone tells me what I should do, I don't even hear the words trailing the should, like everything in my body just goes, do not tell me what to do. <laughs> yeah, I agree. Hmm. Erasmus might struggle with this. He's a huge grammar Nazi and like any word that isn't a real word doesn't let me get away with it. Especially well, no, that's the, that's not the real word. It's actually grammar and proper punctuation and spelling. I just have that in me where I like to do things, you know, like I want things to look a certain way. So I'm the same way. And is that being a Nazi or is that being a custodian of the language during a war of words? Like I am so down with Jordan Peterson right now. Like it is important not to cede the linguistic territory. So I am what Joel, you would also call a grammar Nazi, because it's like if we don't safeguard our language, especially now, who will? So I do the same. Someone throws some weird acronym at me or my my pet peeve is in texting like people truncate words, the hun, H-U-N. I'm like, hun isn't a word. And even if we were shortening it, that's not how you spell it. Like, so I'm that person too. Thank you, Erasmus, yeah. for holding it down for language. Yeah, no doubt. Yeah, well, Joel, what's up, bro? Well, hey, Joel, like, you should like you should start doing what we're doing with grammar and... <laughs> Well, I guess on that note, a kind of topical one right now, you know, is this um, this phrase anti-Semites or anti-Semitic, because this is, I mean, it doesn't mean what most people think it means. I mean, there's so many ways we could go with this. Like people don't understand what a Semite is, right? Which is a whole group of people from the Middle East, including ones that allegedly you know, don't like one another or have yeah. been indoctrinated to hate or compete. So there's that aspect. There's how the, you know, racist hate mongering ADL uses it to shut down any intelligent discourse. So you criticize someone who might have Jewish heritage. And even though what we're criticizing has nothing to do with their religious practices or their heritage, all of a sudden we're anti-Semites. Like you see it with George Soros. Right. Like he's my favorite example of this, like criticize George Soros. You're an anti-Semite. And it's like, really? Because he said that helping the Nazis steal possessions from the Jews was like the best time of his life. Um, so I feel like that just like racist, just like transphobe, just like sexist, these words don't mean what they used to mean. And they're just wielded to, you know, divide and, and rule and have us hating one another. 
Yeah, it's like conspiracy theories. It's just a way to shut people down from having any type of like open discussion and to communicate ideas and to critically analyze. It's like, I don't need to do any of that stuff because I could just throw this single word at you and walk away. Exactly. Exactly. It's wild. Yeah. yeah, well, it gives people like rationale to bypass proper thinking as well, you know, because, oh, you know, this word means something according to the majority of people. So that gives me a way out. But again, all this stuff, again, brings back to like a lot of my work is about health and the nervous system. It's like people that just can't they don't have capacity within their nervous system to deal with discomfort and something that like it goes against their beliefs to sit there and take it in and go hey listen I'm, oh wow i'm feeling i'm feeling a little triggered right now i don't i don't really agree with it but i'm open to hearing what you have to say like those dialogues would just go so differently but people just can't there's like these trauma responses that are just happening moment to moment to moment and i just think so much inner work needs to be done for for things to to shift I agree. I really think that's the core. And it's unfortunate how they're trying to outlaw triggering, right? Like we don't want to make anyone uncomfortable. And it's like, well, if we're not uncomfortable, how will we know where we need to heal, yeah. integrate, uh -huh. and grow? So if, the way I see it is an attack on personal evolution, personal empowerment, and personal transformation. And again, like I won't enable that shit. So I feel like I'm doing a public service by triggering people, not without compassion, not deliberately, but mm -hmm. you know, if the way that I speak triggers you, good, you're welcome. Yeah. Why don't you go look at that and do whatever healing necessary so you don't need to, f to feel like you need to micromanage other people, which is just a losing proposition. Yeah, you make a good point there for sure. Yeah, oh, I mean, this Oh, there, there you go. Well, there I was go. just going to say, so speaking of words, because I see it a lot and I'm curious your uh, opinions. I mean, I have my opinions on it, but like people saying they won't say good morning. They won't say un understand. They'll say understand or grand rising. And I just have a part of me that's like, just shut no. the fuck up. <laughs> I do. I'm, <laughs> I'm sorry. Like, I can't like intention matters. It's different if I said good morning danny you know but like i don't know what are, what are your thoughts on intention behind certain words and i i'm mixed i know what you're talking about for sure um i still say good morning i still okay. say understanding i mean my thing with understanding and i respect pe mostly i respect people who have the discipline to be so on top of their mm -hmm. own languaging patterns to have made the switch but I, I always go back to like carrots and sweet potatoes. And it's like, they're not lesser vegetables because they grow under the earth. So part of that for me harkens back to the demonization of darkness, of the underworld, of anything Plutonian. And really, if we're gonna get real with it, the feminine, right? Mm -hmm. So for me, I feel like I respect carrots. I respect sweet potatoes. I don't have a problem with understanding. If we're talking like maritime law and court, that's a whole different ball mm -hmm. of wax. I don't play that game at all. Um, but yeah, I mean, I get it with good morning. It's it's just not my paradigm, right? I respect if that's how people want to roll. That's not how I'm rolling. Yeah. No, I, I'm, I couldn't have said it better myself. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I guess I'm not, not sure how to phrase this, but like, does the shift really start with the language? Like, can someone still be using the same language, but like have psychological awareness and, and, and development to still be able to use the words 
and like and not impact their trajectory or the reality that the, that that they create in the same way like what's underneath the words you know that's happening like someone can just sure shift all the words around but still be incredibly psychological immature and very bypassy yeah a hundred percent and some people can um be really irresponsible with their languaging and also live like happy successful lives yeah <laughs> um so i mean i think some of us came here for mastery and some we all came here for different reasons and they're all super valid right that hasn't been my case you know for me it's been like getting very granular with how i'm programming reality um people you know like there's the secret stuff where it's like oh i'll just throw out these affirmations but if those affirmations are running contrary to my actual belief systems mm -hmm. it's not going to work so i could say you know i'm millionaire mindset and you know money flies out of my butt every time i poop but if i believe that i'm unworthy of wealth and abundance at a fundamental yeah. level yes that incongruity is not going to work um yeah. So the way that I use language and the way I, you know, I work with my clients on a coaching level is like we use the upgrades to find the holes, right? So if I say I'm worthy of love and affection and I want to cry or I feel like a fraud, great. Then that languaging upgrade just illuminated a part in me that is needing healing, that is needing reconfiguring um, and integration. So for me um, like my focus is it's not manifestation although i think that's wonderful it's empowerment the people i work with it's about empowering them to create reality as they choose to not feel enslaved to any construct be it the matrix or a job or marriage or whatnot and to you know authentically create our lives as we want and choose and so that really entails coming into congruity with our beliefs and our desires you know and bridging the gap between what we say we want or think we want and how we're talking about ourselves or how we're talking about our future so i don't think there's any wrong way to play the earth game you know some people came here to be victims some people came here to be psychopaths some people came here to be optimized you know planetary superheroes it's the last group that i'm talking to and supporting so that we can create something new here well said well said self-esteem yeah it's everything it's like Erasmus was saying like people who don't have the ability to hold the discomfort of a different belief because they don't have a strong sense of self they don't have the self-esteem that says someone has a different idea and you're still safe and okay mm -hmm. until we get that part like really that like foundation I don't see humans making these leaps that I know we're all, you know, hoping and envisioning that they're going to make. Um, and that's why I've turned my attention to teaching teens and homeschoolers so that they can have that foundation so that what we're going through right now, what we're transmuting doesn't happen on this planet again. Yeah. Can, you, can you talk about that? Because I remember when I first saw your post, you, you do a, like a course for propaganda pop propaganda for teens and teaching them about language like i was really i think i shared it immediately because i was like this is really cool because again you know having younger people understand this and planting the seeds early on is so important yeah it's key and thank you for your support with that it was um so my whole career since 2000 has been to stop 
what is happening now, right? As soon as I read Project for a New American Century and what that plan was and started to realize like that what was on the surface of our government and these people in charge was not as we were led to believe, my whole goal was to stop what's happening now. So even when, you know, they pulled the thing in 2020, I was like, no, we can flip it. Like we got this, we can just stand up. And I was surprised that humans were so quick to kneel and love their enslavement. So after they installed Chairman Biden in the White House, I was like, all right, the, the, the adults have chosen their timeline. Like my efforts have failed. Um, they're gonna do their enslavement thing. I'm going to focus my attention on the teens and I'm always going for root causes. Um, so the way I, I saw what was going on, you know, with the pandemic was like, this is a propaganda war. Like this is all a war of information. And if people were hip to how propaganda works, none of this would have succeeded. Um, so I was invited by a homeschool group in New York to teach a class. And they asked me what I wanted to teach. And I was like, let's do propaganda. So, um, 2021 was the first time I taught that course. And we were using the Bernays book as the textbook, which is a great book, but not fun for kids and Very a little dry. bit dated. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, so then I created my own textbook called The Illustrated Guide to Propaganda. Um, and yeah, the, the gist is just to teach teens media literacy, propaganda techniques, because once we know how they operate, they don't work on us. And then at the same time, teaching them, like building their critical thinking capacities. And then the most important part, well, not most important, but also to um, build their self-esteem and build their confidence in their own ideas. You know, I'm always saying to my class, I don't want you to agree with me. I want you to just think on your own. Like I welcome pushback. I just wanna see that you know how to think. And if these things, you know, are rubbing up against your core values, great, you know what's best for you. Um, so big part of it is is like teaching the teens how to recognize their core values, recognize their priorities, have confidence in their own opinions, their own authenticity, um, and not take all the bait um, that runs this whole control matrix. That's amazing. So, so powerful. So much respect, you know, for putting together something like that and, you know, actually actioning that and walking that path. I think that's so, so needed right now. Thank you. Yeah. What are some of the key, like without giving away, I guess, the course, like some of the key, I guess, propaganda techniques you encourage people or kids, teens to look out for, you know, in media? I mean, they're all the usuals. This week, um, we're focusing on lack, um, limitation and not enoughness, right? This constant indoctrination that you're not enough or you're too much. So you need to buy this thing. Um, I think understanding groupthink is a really important foundation um, and empowering the kids, excuse me, the teens to stand in their own unique individuality and 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 to develop the core self-esteem so that it's okay if they feel uncomfortable, if they're not going along with the group and to know that they're not gonna die and they're gonna be just fine. Um, all of the divide and rule techniques um, a lot of them coming through the language, otherization, demonization, dehumanization. Um, we can't do harm to people when we're recognizing our shared humanity. We can only do harm when we've removed that from the equation. So teaching them about name calling, labels. Um, I mean, there, there are just so many. Um, we're, we're learning right now about problem, reaction, solution. 
you know, and teaching them how like the social engineers already have the solution in mind, but they'll drop something in that, that convinces the public that, that they want to ask for, you know, either a civil liberties takedown or, a, you know, a mandated medical intervention or something. There are so many. I mean, I, I, I'm teaching them a lot about victim consciousness. That's something really important to the parents with, you yep. know, identity yep. politics, social justice and whatnot, and teaching them like there's really no value in victimhood. Um, but at the same time, always honoring their free will. Like if that's how you want to roll, that's fine. But just know there's no such thing as an empowered victim. So when we're running victim consciousness, we are not um, resource. We don't have agency to change our lives and our world for the better. So just breaking all those things down in a really granular way and using the media that they're taking in, you know, their TikTok videos, their favorite songs, you know, teaching them about the lyrics and we're singing over and over. And how are we programming ourselves? Mm -hmm. Is it, you know, like I'm a loser baby. So why don't you kill me? You know, like how many times did we uh, sing that song? I'm a loser baby. Like, yeah. Wild. You know, uh, yeah, Beck, you what might be it? a little, you might, you might be a little young, bro. It's okay. Okay, okay. fair enough. <laughs> it was Beck's breakout hit. Yeah. I'm and a I loser, was... baby. No, so no, no. Why don't you kill me? Right. I need to yeah. Delete, 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 delete. I don't. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. Yeah, yeah. So I'm, you must have, you must have like a field day, and maybe you don't do this because you have more important things to do, but like observing inter uh, exchanges on social media. <laughs> I do. It's like, I mean, having this knowledge can be very frustrating because I'm watching the world hurt itself. I'm watching people hurt themselves and seeing how so easily it doesn't have to go like that. But that's my medicine, right? That's my lesson in this lifetime is to not control, to not fix, you know, to not consistently thrust pearls before swine, like learning to just like, okay, this is how it is on this planet. All I can do is put out my courses, put out my books, put out my videos, and trust that they'll be embraced in divine timing. Now, a short break from the episode. Have you considered becoming a member of our community, Friends of the Truth? It is an incredible, value-packed community. If you're looking to meet amazing individuals who are all on this path as well, and also receive six calls a month, um, a monthly live members-only podcast and Q&A, a monthly live teaching presentation by us or a guest, a monthly community call hangout where you get to hang out, play games, be lighthearted, be vulnerable um, with people on the same page. We have an astrology update call every month with Sarah DeHaven, a nervous system tune-up call with Dr. Sophie Fletcher, PhD, and also a monthly German New Medicine study group hosted by Melissa Gray. There's always something going on in Friends of the Truth for you to dive into for you to interact with, for you to lighten the load and just take a moment to be real, connect with real amazing human people uh, who get it. So if that sounds like something you'd be interested in for as little as $29 a month on an annual plan or $39 on a monthly plan, we also offer a three-day free trial. You can hit the link in the show notes for Friends of the Truth or simply head to friendsofthetruth.co. And the most amazing part about it is that you'll get to connect with us directly. And we love to meet new people. Back to the episode. Yeah. You know, I think about my own journey and like, I remember in the early days, like I would get into these like 10 hour back and forths 
on Facebook or some platform. And, you know, I just moved away from it because obviously I had other things that I wanted to do and focus on. And I like to observe how people engage in comments. I rarely, you know, have back and forths on social media just because, um, I don't know, it just doesn't, doesn't work for me in the comment thread. But, you know, I, I just had an exchange with a, a, a friend, acquaintance friend that like commented on something that I, that I posted in a way. And I know he's been, and I've been observing him posting and other threads like with very just like emotionally reactive language and i'm just like so i just sent him a private dm like audio messages just kind of sharing some things with him and then he totally received it and he shared back because i told him i was like listen man and then his responses i said man like if you responded online the way you just spoke to me you would have such a different impact like he was speaking from a centered place there was sensitivity he was he was communicating clearly as opposed to just like you're an idiot. Like, oh, go fuck yourself. Like, whatever, you know. And it's just like, it, again, I for me, it goes back to like you have to get a hold on your emotional, your emotional reactivity. You have to feel the trigger and go, whoa. And this is also why I'm I'm a student and a teacher of human design, and it's a, a big part of my life. Talk about individual individuation and understanding how we're so unique. Is that you know, for half the population, they have an inner authority of being emotional, you know, solar plexus inner authority, which is do not make decisions when you're on the heat or the low of an emotional wave. And then the other non-emotionals are take in those waves and amplify them. So when especially these huge global crises or these events happen, you have these people that are just on waves, responding, reacting, communicating, and then everyone else taking that in, amplifying, and it just becomes this clusterfuck of people just going off on each other. And so again, like, you know, the, I, I say the same thing, but that work starts at home. You, you have to do the work. You have to look in the mirror. Why am I getting so freaking triggered? Can I take a beat? You know, it's like the great uh, Victor Frankl quote, you know, between stimulus and response, there is that space within that space lies our ability to choose and our ability to choose, you know, determines our freedom. And so can we create just a little bit more space between the stimulus, whatever that is, whatever words someone or someone's sharing with us and just take a beat before you just immediately launch into a reaction. Yeah, I think it's a really good point. <clears throat> and I think it's it's one of the upsides of social media for those of us who are um, walking a transformational path is to see our reactions, to see our triggers. You know, I, I always ask people, especially my clients, like when they have a communication gone awry, like, what was your intention with this communication? Are you just trying to vent? Are you going for a dopamine reaction by saying something shitty to someone? Are you trying to be heard? Are you trying to foster genuine understanding? Like, what is the point of this communication? There are some people who I follow on social media, like specifically controlled op, where I'm a troll. I'm not a troll to get dopamine and I'm not a troll to be a dick. I'm a troll to get it in the public record that not everyone is on board with the <laughs> sham, right? It's just like, hey, not everyone is buying this. Um, so, and I also think there's like this big thing where do you want to be right or do you want to understand? And do you think you know everything there yes. is to know? Yes about everything or is it possible that there's space for you to learn a new piece and there's also like i'm thinking of this time on social media i posted about it had nothing to do with politics it was like 
visiting the Matramandir in India. And I, you know, I think my language is a little flowery for someone on the thread. And he was like, well, that's why you're a stupid kike and your whole bloodline deserves to be wiped out. And I was like, and I don't like, quote unquote, anti-Semitism doesn't phase me because I've been in the conspiracy community for such a long time that I just find it fascinating, right? So I was like, oh, that's so interesting. Like, I'd love to know more about this. Like, so I didn't hit him with any rage. I was like, I'd love to understand your, your logic in this as to why what I said equals my bloodline should be wiped out. And this person like really broke down his perspective. And it really, I was like, that actually makes sense. Like, I don't agree, but thank you for walking me through your thought process because I understand why from your perspective, you would think this. And it just helped me understand that mindset of like scarcity or not enough to go around or it's my bloodline or your bloodline. It's not an, a both and. So I think there's something to like, instead of just reacting and pretending mm-hmm. You know, like just defending, like, let's reach out into someone else's worldview and help them foster a little bit more understanding for all of us. So tribal. Yeah. And like, also, like, I, I totally get what you're saying. Like, like these, these people, but the people that tend to respond in ways like that, they're expecting and very often craving you to come back at them so they can uh, get that you know, feeling of self-righteousness and the dopamine. And then you come back and you, you're curious and you ask questions. Yeah. And it, and it gives that person, whether or not you agree with them or not, a way to communicate in a different way. So I think more people should be asking questions on social media <laughs> I instead think so of just too. telling think, people things. Yeah. And I mean, I learned that the hard way because don't get me wrong. Like I, I you yeah, know, historically me- I can be reactive. I can be fiery and all that. But what I've realized is like, I know what I know. I don't need to convince anyone else of what I know because I do my research. Um, I can tell when people are not open. So then I just want to know why they think what they think. That helps me understand. That helps me show up more compassionately in the space of ideological differences. Yeah. I don't know if you noticed, but I don't know if you remember, but Forbes magazine told you the dangers of doing your own research. I just wanted to to let you know about that. Okay. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I guess I should throw away that master's degree in journalism <laughs> and just do whatever Forbes tells me to do. <laughs> oh, man. I can't imagine like building connections purely because they share my bloodlines. <laughs> you know, like... The value values overrides everything. Like if I built my community purely on bloodline, like man, this would not be ideal. I feel the same, and yet I I have people in my life who do have that allegiance based on their enculturation, their values, and their priorities. And I'm like, hey, that's cool that that works for you. That's not how I roll. Yeah. But I respect everyone's choice to do their earth walk the way they want to. Yeah. Uh, Shit's Creek really impacted um my behavior by just saying i love that for you you know i don't know if you saw that show but one of the main characters is is i think this is where this line like got popular and like in the culture is like i love that for you and it really impacted me because it's like sometimes we want people to to be into and do the things and think the things and behave the way we want them to as opposed to like if i'm for freedom and i want people to give me freedom, then I need to be able to also give that back and be like, Hey, listen, I don't, I don't want to live my life the way you do, but you do you, you know, as long as you don't infringe on, on me and how I want to live, we're cool. You know, the shit hit the fan. 
when people are trying to tell me how I need to live my life, especially when it's coming from pseudoscience and misinformation and propaganda. But if you just let me be me and you do you, I, you know, I got no problems. You know, I'm still going to do what I do and share information and do my best to try to educate. But like, I'm, I don't need anyone to be like me. I don't need everyone to think how I think. Bottom line. Yeah, same. And I appreciate your referencing Shit's Creek because this is a reframe for me because I've had people say to me, I love that for you. And I think I just assume they're being sarcastic or it's a little bit of a put down. But the way that you shared it, I realized, oh, that's a positive thing. Well, well, I mean, it can be, you know, I mean, I've used it in jokes with friends like, oh, I love that for you, you know, but like just hearing it, though, just it landed in a way where it was like, oh, okay, like I can really like be psyched that someone's into something that I'm just not into. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. You're Anyways. so passive aggressive, bro. Yeah, totally. I love that for you. <laughs> Danny, can you dive into this whole um, concept of fixed and fixity and verbing nouns? Um, something I've heard you get into, which I thought was pretty interesting. Yeah. So this is um, this is a, a technique that I'm still unpacking. So thanks for asking about it. So in my new book, The Language of Betterarchy, Um, I've delineated the 10 precepts that help us recognize hierarchical languaging because hierarchy is not something made of like bricks and mortar. It's an abstraction, right? And it's only sustained through our language, through our thinking in hierarchical thought forms or paradigms or whatnot. And so fixity is... um, one of the precepts of hierarchical languaging. We were talking about it earlier with um, passing symptoms, right? Giving something a pathology or a diagnosis is to ascribe fixity to symptoms that like everything else in this reality construct are likely temporary. Um, But the matrix construct likes us to think that the way things have been is the way they're supposed to be and the way they're always going to be. They like to to have us thinking that we do not have the power to change. The reality is, and it depends on how many dimensions we're looking at this, right? But if we're gonna go to like some extra dimensional, you know, archons or dark beings who are moving through us, we actually have all the power. Humans are creators, right? Um, The matrix construct is not, but they, you know, one of the ways that they convince us that we do not have the power to change things is by convincing us that things are fixed. Take the two party system. Everyone says an independent will never win. That languaging right there is us doing the the work of the social engineers for them. We are choosing to enslave ourselves with this fallacious notion of of impossible. Just because it hasn't happened yet does not mean that it can't happen. We can change anything in any moment. And I think it's really tied to our fundamental misunderstanding of time. A lot of us have been indoctrinated to believe that the future exists of its own accord. It's just waiting for us to get there, to, to clue into what it portends. We are creating the future in this moment now. Every act, every thought, every deed is creating that future. When we think and speak and act differently, then the future will be different than the present moment. But they go the distance to indoctrinate us into thinking that nothing can change, that everything is fixed. Beautiful. I mean, 
this just echoes like the authentic path, you know, it's made with every single step that you take. Like the inauthentic path is pre-carved for you and that's the road that the masses are on. But for those who live authentically and live according to their own internal dictates, you know, it's the road changes very, very, very quickly. Totally. I mean, even if we go to material reality, like there's nothing fixed in material reality. It's all based on our observation, whether it's going to be a wave or a particle, right? That's physics. That's science, the new religion, right? So that's where, you know, I've picked up this de-gerunding, which is verbing nouns. And in, you know, there are a lot of indigenous cultures and allegedly the Mayan civilization did not have verbs. Um, it's something that David Bohm talked about. He called it Rhea mode, right? Where it's like, we're acknowledging the fundamental truth of this reality construct, which is impermanence in saying like, life is chairing. If I'm talking about instead of a chair, a noun with fixity, it would be like, you know, God is chairing right now, right? So we're just acknowledging the impermanence of things. So especially when we're talking about things that don't feel good to us, Um, you know, a lot of times with me, I've, you know, historically had a contentious relationship with the anger or rage that I've been tasked to master in this lifetime. So instead of saying, you know, anger or my anger, right. And creating a quantum entanglement, it's like, oh, look, angering is moving through me. Raging Mm -hmm. is moving through me, right? Because it just takes that permanence away and it reminds me everything is in motion. This is a momentary experience. I don't have to cling to it or fix permanence to it. Yeah. I feel like this would be useful, even like with the the labels we self-impose on ourselves, you know, like whether it's a career, whether it's, you know, astrology, whatever it might be, you know, we close ourselves into these constructs. A hundred percent. You know, I talk about, you know, the labels that we ascribe to others and name calling. And obviously it's not, you know, something that's very kind or compassionate, but it's also the boxes we put ourselves in with our labels. Mm-hmm. Um, I had a coaching client who was, you know, she was talking about going, she went into her lawyer's office and was doing her will and that it was really hard on her emotionally because she's an empath. And I was like, okay, well, empath is one identity construct, but there are many. And it sounds like in that instance, identifying as an empath wasn't really helping you alchemize the situation or optimize the situation. So what if instead of being an empath, sometimes you're empathing, sometimes you're not empathing. We empath as a verb, you know, set and setting where it works for us. We don't tether ourselves or handcuff ourselves or victimize ourselves to an empath identity that isn't working for us in a situation where empathing is not the best identity to take on does that make sense it it definitely makes sense i mean my mind's just racing right now i'm like thinking all the nouns that i use and how i can verb them so well get get back to generator i'm a generator oh yeah i'm generating generating Generating. Or generatoring. I'm generatoring. I'm generatoring. Yeah. I'm scorp. I'm scorpioning. That's good. <laughs> yeah. I'm. I'm curious how that is though with something that again a system or astrology that obviously inherent in it is you're being put in a a category as opposed to like something that's like a different emotion. You know what I mean? 
Right. But even as like, I mean, I talk about the soft bigotry of astrology and I'm it's it's the identity construct that for me, I'm still clinging to as an Aquarius. Right. So it's easier for me to say, like in a moment where I'm not being as compassionate as the moment calls for, well, I'm an Aquarius. And it's like, well, that's not. Oh, yeah very compassionate i can tap into other parts of my chart you know i do move through when i was in utero i moved through scorpio i moved through sag i moved through other charts so it's like where are we using these identity constructs as an excuse and is this a situation where cancering might be a little bit more appropriate yeah yeah it's so true i can i can behave like a manifester like a projector you know like a reflector if i need to like those parts are there yeah 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 no it's true true i think about all the times i've used the well you know it's my, i'm gemini gemini nature it's just as opposed to i'm gemini-ing i'm gemini-ing in this moment totally yeah. i mean I, I think astrology is the great frontier for us to play with this in terms of being able to tap into the strengths of other planetary bodies and star signs when appropriate yeah, yeah. No more excuses like for not focusing, going. okay, Erasmus. What'd you say? No, no more excuses for not focusing. Need to see that Capricorn. Okay. I'm Gemini. I know. Yeah, I'm Capricorning. I don't think I have Capricorn anywhere in my chart, but I'll just <laughs> I'll pull on it because it exists out there. I'm the yeah. same with Virgoing, like calling in the Virgoing. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I have Virgo in three. Pl- I ha- I'm Virgoing in three planets. I, this is great though. What I love about this though is like, it's just now automatically i know how my brain works like i'm going to be thinking because i i like to observe uh, communication again because i'm geminiing often uh communication is is big for me and important i love to see how i use words and how i communicate and 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 when i do i reflect often back how i have so this is just like like more food for thought and yeah, yeah, I'm, really, yeah. I'm really excited to see how it's going to impact me and like we have natural tendencies but ultimately all the archetypes exist within us Exactly. And what it's doing, it's just giving us permission to choose what's going to work for us moment to moment. Authority, you can't spell authority without author. What it really means is our God-given right to author our lives however we choose in every moment. So it's not like we're going to relinquish all identity constructs. I love being Aquarius. I love identifying as an Aquarius. It's just like, is this identity working for me in this moment? And Mm -hmm. because we're making it up as we go along, it's like, okay, well, if this identity identity construct isn't working in this moment, you know, like being a five one and being projected upon all the time. How can I rewrite that story so that I'm not a victim to my design? Yeah, no, I, I agree. It's, it's so interesting to think about for sure. I think it's the cause of so much suffering, the labels that we cling to, like where everyone's looking for an identity, everyone's looking for some kind of construct where they feel safe, they feel seen, they feel validated. It's like, what's yeah. go beyond that. Yeah. I see it so much um, in like, this is a little edgy um, example, but single mothers where it's like, okay, is, is self-identifying as a single mother making the task of motherhood easier? Is it lightening your load? Does it have you feeling good? Or are you attaching that descriptor to your mother identity as a means of collecting pity? every woman knows like it's it's very individual and i know women who identify as single mothers and don't feel victimized to the task of mothering but it's just being really honest with ourselves of how we're choosing to write our stories is it adding burden is it lightening our load um you know there's so many descriptors we could use to describe ourselves 
Um, are these descriptives helping you yeah. live the life that you want to be living and embody the version of yourself that you want to be embodying? Well, we just we just create these ceilings for ourselves. And it's like our vision can't go beyond the ceiling that we've placed there ourselves. You know what I mean? And the moment you begin to question that, it's like, oh, maybe I am capable of more. Maybe something else is possible. Maybe there is more out there for me to receive. Do you do you think there's a like a natural unfolding process though? Like almost you have to start with okay, I learned my astrology. I learned my human design. Like it's allowing me to know myself better. It's allowing me to get more grounded. And and then, and, and as opposed to skipping over, you know, it's like it's the whole idea. Even now, with like when you think of individualism and collectivism, it's like the I came before. We don't just skip the I and then go to the we and and discount the I. It's like we build on that. So when more people behave from the from the eye authentically who they are uh, and give their gifts in the world that ultimately impacts the we as opposed to now fuck the eye it's all about the we your rights don't matter you know what i mean it's like it's like this building process so i think of it the same way like i learned astrology i learned human design like i learned so much about myself i've attached to some of these identities and now i can maybe evolve past it and create more space and expansion does that make sense Yep. It, it definitely makes sense. And I, I totally agree. It's like Picasso had to learn, you know, to be like an amazing artist before he could throw it all the way, all away and just do the cubism thing. I'm a student of Claire Graves spiral dynamics. So mm. I, you know, that really resonates with me how consciousness evolves you know, in the same order, in the same way. We can't authentically get to second tier we consciousness if we haven't gone through all of the stages of of I or me consciousness, which is why I'm, you know, and I say in my new book, like, while these tools and techniques are helpful for everyone, I'm speaking to the second tier reality creators. I'm speaking to the people who are here to know and master themselves and change the earth game for the better. Um, so yeah, I don't think we can throw those things away until we've milked them. You know, yeah. what does it mean to be a Scorpio? What does it mean to identify as a Scorpio and how I'm, how I meet the world you know, and only then when I've, you know, exhausted that and really grokked it, can I move into Scorpioing because I fully understand what that means. Yeah, I, I've I mean, had some. Sorry, you go, you go. Oh, just again, the correlation to like, you know, parts work or selves and, you know, whether it's IFS, you know, just we get to know more parts of ourselves. We get to call in more energies. We get to broaden the spectrum of colors that we get to play with. Yeah, hundred percent. Yeah, cool. Well, I mean, I was just going to say something that going back to what I said before is like, there have been times where I've, you know, brought up, let's say human design or something like that. And I feel like I get a response that's, it's almost like a spiritual bypass. Like I I'm more than that, but it's like, but have you, have you done the, mm -hmm. have you done the, the, the earlier work too? Like I get that hit sometimes. I'm like, okay, sure. You can believe that. I just don't feel like you've done all this grounding work where like really exhausting and milking what it means to gain knowledge from some of these systems that have had a lot of impact on people's lives. Yeah. I, I don't think any of this is saying don't know thyself. Don't have No, no, no. Yeah. No, not at all. But it's just interesting yeah. just to see how people approach some of this stuff. And I, I love, I mean, I love where the, this conversation, because it's, again, I keep bringing, I'm bringing it back to me because I love seeing how I can expand my view of myself and not just hold on to these constructs and identities that I, I find myself saying often, you know, I'm a five, one, I'm a king of clubs. I'm a, I'm a fucking Gemini, you know? And it's like, 
Yeah. Right. And I'm, and all the excuses that come along with those or the, you know, the implied suffering that comes along. I agree. I mean, I think I know plenty of people who've read my books or done the, you know, into the gene keys or whatnot. And there's a surface understanding, but it's not like a deep self inquiry. And again, not everyone came here to do yeah, that yeah. self inquiry. Um, I'm speaking to those of us who did come here to do that. For sure. Yeah. Again, like what, what, what's your goal and what's useful to you right now? You know, it's something we don't ask ourselves, like, what's the goal of being human? What am I trying to achieve right now? Like, and you know, what, what do I need to actually meet that? You know, and then there's for a big part, you know, identifying as a generator, knowing myself as having an emotional authority is incredibly useful to me on that journey. Like I'm not going to just, not just going to discount that. No, human design has been so helpful for me. The five one piece was helpful, but also understanding my open crown chakra mm -hmm. has been so, so helpful in understanding where things can go awry with romantic relationships and how easy it is for like when someone else defines the relationship, how I could just be like, oh, okay, you're my soulmate or you're, it's this, it's that. And realizing, no, 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 that's open crown chakra. Like, you know, yeah. very, very, not use it as an excuse, but just as a yeah. tool for me to manage myself. Well, yeah, and also the proof's in the pudding. Like if your life isn't going the way you want it, then maybe there are tools out there that are gonna help you move in a direction of having less resistance in your life and maybe less suffering. You know, it's not like we're not gonna experience suffering at all, but like maybe you can have 50% less. Maybe you can have 30% less and, you know, maybe have better relationships or, or not respond in that text or that email when you could have just taken 24 hours and then realized, oh, I didn't have to send that email. And then because I sent that email, this whole chain of events occurred that caused me to lose my job, that caused me to lose my relationship. You know what I mean? So I think like how we're conditioned and how we're influenced by our environment and other people is very, very beneficial. And that's what I really love about uh, the human design experiment. I agree. And I also think another piece is because we have this like sanctioned victim culture, right? What Godside calls um, the oppression Olympics, right? Where people get social credit for suffering the mostest. And it's like, help, like allowing, like, can we get quiet enough to realize like, wait, is victimizing myself to this translating to a joyful lived experience? You know, like beyond just getting social credit or likes or whatnot, like, how do I feel in this identity? That was a big piece for me because I wrote for the LA Weekly for 10 years and it was like this literary tool of like all the terrible things that happen or all, you know, like all the foibles. And when I stopped using that as a literary tool, I realized like, oh, I've painted myself into a corner because of all the this programming of talking about my life and realizing like this isn't translating into the life that I want. So getting honest, because I think that larger like um, social engineering tactic of of nudging people towards victimhood, it's so important for us to question and being like, is this translating to a life that I like? Yeah slowly being conditioned to receive it based on need you know not on ability and so all of a sudden everyone's like how needy can i be because yes. then subconsciously oh i want to receive more exactly it's like if i throw a big tantrum right now in this group situation everyone's gonna come and shower me with compassion and pity yeah yeah but if that you go and achieve and succeed and do things differently than the masses, like the crabs in the bucket, all, all those people will be pulling you down. No, 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 no. How dare you? You can't do that. No, but stay here. Be a victim with us. Yes, exactly. Yeah.
Yeah. Exactly. Um, I want you to dive into the rise of the word trans in our culture and how that is impacting the agenda of the social engineers. So the way that I see it, and I, you know, I see the whole LGBTQ plus, I don't even know what the new version is, movement as a PSYOP, nothing to do with how I feel towards gay people, you know, anything like that. But in talking about the movement, um, so I see it starting, and I will get to the trans piece, but I think it started with the taking of the rainbow, right? And there's like, there's this meteorological event that belongs to every human. And then the social engineers at Tavistock are like, no, we're going to take it away from humans and give it to this small marginalized group as a symbol of their oppression, right? Same thing is happening with the word trans. Trans is a prefix for transformation, transformer, transponder, like there's so many trans words, right? But because of this engineering over the past 10, 15 years, you just say trans and now it's short for transsexual. Like you don't even have to finish the word because that word has been co-opted mm-hmm. um, by this Maoist agenda. So every time we say it, we're like, if you think, you know, I talked about the morphogenetic field and I also talk about frequency bands in the morphogenetic field. So there's a frequency band for every emotion, for every experience, for every energy, for every psyop, for every enslavement construct, like everything that exists has a frequency band. And when we articulate those words, the frequency in those words will harmonize with that frequency band, right? And basically we're casting our vote for more of that thing in our reality. I saw this um, when Trump was elected the first time and I didn't even have to track the election just for the um, consistency with which I was hearing the repetition of his name. I'm like, well, he's gonna win because his frequency band is being so strengthened and empowered through this repetition. So the same thing with trans, right? Every time now I say transformation or transformer or whatever it is, trans, the, the kind of weaponization of trans is being articulated, right? It's, it's spell casting, it's black magic, right? Because of that association that has been artificially created in the collective's mind through propaganda. Now, every time trans anything, trans is being strengthened in the larger frequency band. Yep, well said. I mean, and ultimately, towards transhumanism, right? A hundred percent. Like that's the, well, that's what the real trans is, mm-hmm. but we have this, it's like they're using the trans op and trans people, you know, as minions of this really dark plan. It's why it's so painful to watch in terms of the, the specifically the LGBTQ plus psyop, but really all of them, Black Lives Matter, the yeah. women one, all of them is just like, watching people sign on to disempowerment because they haven't broken through the the indoctrination and the propaganda that wants to paint us as victims like nothing pisses me off more than being told like that i should you know give someplace my money because it's a women-owned business it's like no 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 no. you're not going to ghettoize my gender with that bullshit. we don't need to be disempowered with your pity talk to me about the quality of the product or the service and leave the disempowering nonsense out of the conversation. You're not going to get a wise my gender. 
Oh, you. hell no. <laughs> I shut that down so fast. <laughs> I love it. It's so you think, a new, you think a new Transformers movie is on its way? Oh, for sure. Of course. Yeah, that's endless. Transformers, that's endless. zombie apocalypse, alien disclosure, the whole thing. <laughs> it's so interesting what you mentioned about the rainbows. Like, I've got two daughters, you know, five and two. I'm like, they love rainbows. Everything's all right. Everything's rainbows, you know. They're drawn to rainbows, you know. I'm just like, sure, rainbow is very, very innocent now. But, like, what's the what's the correlation as they begin to grow up? You know, obviously, they have me as, as their dad, so they're going to be protected. But, like, for most kids, it's like, oh, I'm drawn to the rainbow now. I'm still drawn to the rainbow, you know. Of course. It's how, like, this is how symbols are weaponized through propaganda. Like, who doesn't yeah. love the rainbow? But, you know... You know, one of your girls turns 13, wears a rainbow sweatshirt to school. People are going to perceive that as some sort of gay statement, LGBTQ statement, not because of your daughter's intentions, but because of how the rainbow itself has been weaponized as a symbol. Same with the fist. Like we oh, yeah. see the fist with Black Lives Matter and women's stuff. And it's like, that's communism. Like that's yeah. just straight up communism. And just because people don't know that as they're using the fist doesn't mean that those frequencies aren't being empowered. Yep. She's never going to school, but yep. <laughs> <laughs> well, when you're ready, when you're ready, it will send her the Denny's, propaganda course. That's it. Yeah. Do you, propaganda do you, school for sure. Like what's your vision? Like more for you in the future. Like, do you want your, besides your books, do you want to evolve and maybe like even like a school? I don't know. It just made me think like something else. Like, well, I'm curious what, what's on your plate. Thanks for asking. I, I love that question because it's, it's been, you know, one of the trickiest thing for me is the more I understand about how rigged the world is, like how it necessarily changes my career goals for myself. So like even my new, new book, people are like, oh, you're going to be, you know, New York Times number one bestseller on Oprah. And I'm like, I don't want to limit myself. And I know how that game is played. So I'm thinking differently. So what I so right now I'm in the process of digitizing, digitizing my homeschool curricula so that they're available to parents and teachers without needing me mm -hmm. to teach them live. Um, that's like my, you know, most immediate thing. What I really, really, really want to do, and I have been trying to get collaborators on this for a decade, is I want to do a whole animated series. Like, do you remember Schoolhouse Rock? Yeah. I mean, I know the name. I just can't picture it. So there were like little songs and animations about like math and civics and grammar. And I realized like- Is this another 80s- Classic? 70s. 70s, I guess. Sorry, go on. Um, but really, like, there was, like, they had a song, Conjunction Junction, to teach kids about conjunctions, or three is the magic number. Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. um, so I want to do these with, like, all the conspiracy stuff and have, like, little animations and songs, also teaching kids, like, sacred geometry and math and astrology and moon cycles and real history and you know the power of our words so i want to because i feel like one thing that the conspiracy theorists and god you know bless us for the way we've been doing it but it's like having an angry person just yell didactic information into a camera gets super old and mm -hmm. like the mainstream is not going to pick up on that and i feel like it's time where like 
We've all taken our nerdy research as individuals to its outermost limits. I mean, sure, I wanna know what's going on in Antarctica and all of that, but it's like, we're going to have to bring the mainstream up to speed at some point. Yep. That yep. is going to have to happen. And I think if things were more fun and more entertaining with characters and storylines, it would be easier to get the mainstream to avail themselves to information that will necessarily shatter their worldviews and challenge their comfort, right? So if there was a character in these cartoons that was like also having a hard time swallowing this, who was like a relatable kind of everyman, because I think a lot of times like, we'll feel stupid. Like when I figured out the whole Dalai Lama thing was a sham, like I felt really dumb. And I have a lot of years of worldview rug pulling underneath me, but to ask like the everyman to -hmm. give up everything they know, I think it would be more generous to make it entertaining and fun and silly with catchy songs. So what I would really love to do is partner with a production company and just create this huge body of work to help the mainstream be able to digest these tougher truths that, you know, they're resisting right now it's happening it's happening yeah yeah it is it is happening and again it's like using the techniques that the social engineers use but in a positive way (laughs) you know yeah i mean we spoke about that with connor boyack the creator of the tuttle twins you know positive positive propaganda (laughs) yeah my first i mean mickey and mickey willis and i have been collaborators for many many years and we collaborated on an rfk um advertisement back in, I think it was 2019, when they were changing the bill in California so that doctors could no longer um, offer medical exemptions for the regular child's vaccine schedule. And so I pitched three different ideas. And one of them was this animation that I was like pulling so hard for, but instead we went with like a dude talking to a screen the way we normally do. So like I've been trying for such a long time and I'm very excited for this to catch on and to magnetize the just right collaborators to do this. I mean, I have my spazzy spot, the propaganda puppet shows that I do, um, but I would love to work with people with like acting chops and, you know, the ability to do different voices and just make it a lot more playful because the information is so scary and dark. And I feel like, it's just going to be kinder to deliver it in a way that isn't so scary and so like, oh my God, we're all going to die. I definitely feel like, you know, amongst those who I can see the leaders that there is a shift from having to deconstruct, you know, what's going on in the old reality into like, okay, let's just build, let's just construct, let's just create the new. Yeah. And I'm excited. Like I've been, I've just been kind of like, okay, can we get to the rebuild? Like the demolition is boring. Let's get to the rebuild. And that was why, you know, I put out this new book, the language of betterarchy, because it's like, this is the fundamental tool that we can use to enact all the change that's calling for us, because I think it can seem very overwhelming. Like, okay, we need to redo you know, the financial system, the academic system, the judicial system, like there's so much, the whole media where it can see like, oh my God, that's too overwhelming. I'll just like tap out Netflix and chill and get stoned and pretend that I don't notice that there are any issues. But since everything on this planet emerges from our language, it seems very simple to me. Well, let's change our language so that our language is vibrating at the frequencies of true empowerment, equality, peace, abundance for all and then what emerges from that language will necessarily reflect those values and those energetics because that's 
how reality works. Yeah. How long has your book been out? The reason. Uh, one month, four weeks. Awesome. Awesome. I love it. Hey, I hate to, I hate to backtrack a little bit, but I found this super interesting. Um, this whole concept, because another one I think was would be an easy one for people to understand and to untangle this gender affirming care. It's such pitch perfect double speak, right? So double speak we know from um, George Orwell's 1984, freedom or slavery is freedom, ignorance is strength. Um, there was another one in there, but double speak is the exact opposite. It's like, you know, or using words to shroud something horrendous, like co collateral damage, meaning dead people. Um, so I think gender affirming care is insane because I, if you're cutting off your penis, uh, that to me seems gender denying. And I don't know, I don't know if that's care or yeah. mutilation or torture. It just seems like it's completely the opposite. It sounds like, you know, like a fluffy cloud. Yeah. Like I, I, I think of a, for me, when I hear that, I go back to my childhood and I just see a care bear like shooting, like, yeah. like, yeah. like <laughs> shooting light out from their fucking yeah. heart center. So yeah. Because like, yeah, it sounds so nice. Like who doesn't? And then when the news is they're denying people gender affirming care, right? If I'm someone who hasn't dug deeper, that sounds really awful. Like who yeah. are terrible people who would deny children gender affirming care? Yeah. But then when you dial into what gender affirming care actually means, it's a whole different ball game. 100%. Subtle, so many subtle ways in which, you know, we need to really be vigilant and do our best to continue to be more conscious and to use our minds and not get lazy in that regard, you know, not, not relinquish the job of thinking, which, you know, is our job. Yeah. But this is where, again, like authentic, you hear this word all the time, authentic shadow work comes into play because mm -hmm. most people are, are good. You know, like most people just want to do their thing and like have a family. And, but it's, and so they don't, they can't imagine that there are psychopathic individuals out there that will do the most horrific things and use their understanding of human psychology that goes back thousands of years to manipulate and push forth certain agendas because very often they don't they don't have conscious relationships with the parts of them that can manipulate the parts of them that could potentially you know commit an evil act and so they just don't see it in the world you know they deny it and it's it's i it's just it's mind blowing to me you know and like that's the first step just to consider that a person can do something that a government doesn't really care about me, that the media may not be telling me the truth. It's like, let some light in through that crack. And then I think people are more and more open, but a lot of times they just, they can't, they won't go there. They don't have the capacity or the consciousness to, to entertain these realities. It's a really good point. And I, it's twofold. And I think you're right. Like we have to do the shadow work and stop demonizing shadows because we all have them and understanding if another human can do something atrocious, where in, in me can I do I also have that potentiality. And I also think it goes back to what you were saying earlier, Eurasimus, in terms of people's contracted comfort zone being the barrier of reality. So it's like just because you can't imagine doing that or someone doing that 
doesn't mean it doesn't exist. Like the limits of your own imagination or your own comfort don't translate into subjective or excuse me, objective ontological reality, you know? And that's like, I think we all get that, you know, anyone who's marginalized as a conspiracy theorist, it's like, just because this conversation makes you uncomfortable and you haven't done your research doesn't translate into that's not true. It translates into you are uncomfortable. <laughs> you can't hold this and therefore aren't willing to do your research. So just be honest and say like, this conversation makes me really uncomfortable. I'd rather not talk about it instead of calling me a conspiracy theorist, you know, or trying to shut down my channel. Or just even having the convictions to be like, I don't, I don't know. I don't, under, I don't understand yet. I'm not really sure. I haven't, I haven't grasped this fully yet. You know? I don't know. Like just humanity moving into, I don't know, I think would quantum leap us in terms of healing. Yeah. And going, bringing back to human design, like you were bringing up the crown chakra, we have, most people have an open Ajna, an open mind. And the, the, the conditioning principle of that is needing and pretending to be certain. And mm -hmm. so you have people like that see a fucking headline, just a single headline. And it's like, I, I have to I have to repeat it a thousand times. And this is the truth. All because of a single headline on their favorite news platform. You know, it's Funny, like this interesting, bro. Head the line. Head oh, good point. Headline. Yeah. Again, it's interesting. So again, it's like th these ways that we're conditioned. And, and again, it goes back to the ability to hold space for your own vulnerability. I don't know. I'm uncertain. Okay. That is a vulnerable statement, a vulnerable place to that be. Is, that is a fucking high self-esteem statement. Yeah, it is. And it's also like you have space to just be like, I don't know. You know, I, I don't, I don't really know. And I'm yeah. open to learning or I'm open to challenging my beliefs Yeah. as opposed to not allowing that in, combating someone else, pushing back, being self-righteous, even though you have done zero you can say research it's also being in the feminine right like we talk about especially uh, yeah. in like our spiritual communities the return of the divine feminine is about like chicks in charge right or priestesses wearing chiffon and it's like no it's how how we've all been taught to think and perceive reality from the masculine mind, why we're uncomfortable in the unknown, why we're uncomfortable with I don't know, because I don't know is fundamentally feminine. So you have someone like Hillary Clinton, you know, in the Oval Office and, and you know, claiming to know everything, that, that's not a return of the divine feminine. That's mm -hmm. not a healing of that imbalance. That's an exacerbating of that imbalance with the fake optics of, of putting a vagina in the Oval. So like for me, like when we come to like, and I think that's really the crux of it is um, understanding how we've all been fucked over by quote unquote patriarchy or by hierarchy in terms of blinding us to moving into more feminine ways and means, intuition, mystery, uh, the underworld. I don't know those yeah. things. Awesome. I love yeah. this conversation. Like so happy oh, yeah. to to actually connect more um, in person. And I, I love the work you're doing. I love your passion. I love what you share. I feel so aligned with you. And I was, mm -hmm. I'm happy that we've been able to like have you on and have this conversation. And I know our audience is going to absolutely yeah. love this. Episode. This has been dope. Yeah. Oh, you know? thank you so much. So fun to get to hang out with you guys. Yeah, yeah. And, and and like you said earlier, like you're changing the future in the present and we're having this conversation, you know, thousands of people will listen to it and, and hopefully some seeds are planted and and then they'll continue to do what they do, 
you know, to, to impact their future. So, um, you know, it's important that these conversations are had. And, uh, and if there's things, if you're watching this and there's things you don't agree with, then, you know, just check yourself and, and see, you know, again, and don't just believe what we say, go out there and figure things out for yourself. Yeah. Yeah. Denny, where would you like to direct our audience? How can they get in touch with you, support you, um, find your offers? Um, the best way is through dannycats.com. Um, that's kind of like the umbrella that holds everything. My webinars, my books, my podcasts, um, my coaching packages, consulting, everything is there. Um, you can follow me on Instagram, something.danny. Uh, I'm having a contentious relationship with YouTube right now. So <laughs> kind of moving everything towards Odyssey. Um, but the easiest way to find me is through dannycats.com. Amazing. Absolutely love this dialogue. Guys, thank you so much for listening. Uh, we appreciate it. And we'll see you next time. Take care. Smoke and mirrors, I'm seeing through the illusion. Waking up in a time, they think you're in a delusion. Somebody set the alarms, cause they be too busy snoozing. I'm in a DeLorean. Fast forward and never.